Welcome to the top. Oh, yeah. One percenter show. I'm Paul Salamanca. And I'm Tom Bocard. Thanks for joining us today to learn how some of the top 1% CEOs, sales leaders, coaches, athletes, and other professionals have overcame adversity and built their top 1%er mindset. That's right. And this show is live 6 p.m. Eastern every Thursday. If you want to see one of these shows live, you could go to our home base, which is top1percenter.com. You could also see links to previous episodes there or download the show where all podcasts are available. You can also apply for the Top 1% Academy. It's a private sales network exclusively for top members and a few sales professionals are accepted each quarter to attend the Top 1% Academy. That's also available on top1percenter.com. So Tom, let's get into this next guest this next show, I'm looking forward to it. Take it from the top, man, 1%. Take it, take it from the top, man, 1%. Take it from the top, man, 1%. 1%. Oh, yeah. All right, welcome to the top. I'm your host, Paul Salamanca, along with Tom Bocard, co-founders of the Top 1%er Academy, a sales training boot camp for high-growth companies and sales professionals designed to transform average salespeople into top performing sales teams in their respective industries. And we have proven over and over again that with the right mindset, dedication combined with our top sales methodology, anyone can make it to the top 1% in sales. But don't take my word for it. Let's quickly hear from some of our graduates who have made it to the top 1% of their sales leaderboard within six months of graduating from the top academy. I was 200% to quota last month. Top top rep in North America month two. <laughs> well, I got promoted. <laughs> so that, and I think the academy definitely helped with that. Because I just hit back-to-back months, which nobody on our team's done. Our sales um, in the last last month have, have really increased or doubled since January. Well, I am honestly pretty confident in saying that I am the best AE on my team. It's the way to be. You've got you to gotta be a top one percenter. you got to seek out the best in everything you do. Uh, you got to have the confidence and you got to learn the skill sets to do it. And that was just a few of many great results, but we have a show to get to. So let's get started. Today, we have a very special guest, Joe Riley, founder and CEO of Patriot Family Homes providing affordable, reliable housing in the South near military bases. Uh, and usually, I was telling Joe before the show, we tend to lean more towards tech, SaaS, founders, CEOs. But Joe's story is so interesting because until 2021, Joe was an infantry officer in the Army. He deployed to Afghanistan, Ukraine, and served as a director on the National Security Council at the White House. After leaving the Army in late 2000, uh, 2021, Joe rapidly grew Patriot Family Homes from 100 houses to 400 as of January 2023, so I'm sure that number increased. So Joe, welcome to the show, and more importantly, thank you for your service. Well, as I said, I uh, appreciate uh, you and all the other taxpayers who are listening for paying my salary for about a decade and putting me through school. So. Uh, I enjoyed what I got to do, and I'm grateful for those who let me do it. So, I'm looking at looking at your background, and and that's you said over a decade of serving the country. That that's amazing. I'm sure you've picked up a lot of leadership traits. Did you always know you were going to go after the military into starting your own company or being a CEO? No, 
uh, I had, uh, uh, so, I mean, the way we started the company as I was deployed, I was deployed in Afghanistan. Um, so well, step one step back when, um, after I graduated from University of Virginia on the RTC program, uh, I got a scholarship called the Rhodes Scholarship that took me over to Oxford uh, in the UK, where I did a master's and doctorate in uh, international relations there and met my wife. And my wife works for McKinsey, so, uh, which is a consulting job. So yep. she traveled money through Thursday or Friday. So how does that factor into this whole story? Well, we moved eight or nine times uh, over the course of that uh, period, as many military families do. And when I was deployed one time, you know, she had she's gone during the week. So we had this house, had it furnished, and I didn't like it sitting there not yielding any cash. So we just threw it up on Airbnb and HomeAway and quickly realized, no surprise, that there's a big need for furnished short-term accommodations around military bases with families like us constantly coming and going. Uh, and so came back and got another one, another one, another one. I actually moved my wife and I, when I got, when I redeployed, moved us into one bedroom of our three bedroom house and continued to rent out the other two rooms. Uh, uh, we'd also bought a dog while we were in the UK and, uh, and I thought the dog's balance sheet was in the red. So I decided to breed the dog without telling my wife. Uh, <laughs> so then we were living in one bedroom of our three bedroom house with randos in the other two rooms and uh, selling puppies out of the one bedroom that we did have with all our belongings stacked to the ceiling. And then when she'd come home on the weekends, we'd travel around and flip houses. We were doing the flips ourselves at the time. Yeah. Uh, and so we were in my truck. So I figured she didn't need her car. So she came home one weekend and she goes, where's my car? And I said, well, I leased it. Uh, and wow. So that's when she told me that I was going to learn that not every capital asset in our household had to yield a monthly return. <laughs> uh, and so I, I tell people I am uh, I, I'm the best friend for all uh, hopeless entrepreneurs out there who are married. Uh, if your spouse is ever giving you a difficult time, you can just be like, hey, look, it could be worse. Uh, you know, this crazy guy. <laughs> we we could lease out your we could lease out your purse. I, right. She, he could be breeding dogs in the one bedroom with randos in the other two bedrooms and leasing your car without your permission. So, <laughs> uh, so, but no, I didn't have a plan. It was just like most entrepreneurs, I just fell into it uh, yeah. based off of life circumstances and then found an opportunity and kept pursuing it from there. So interesting model, right? So um, I don't know, what year did you start? Was that during the boom of Airbnb? Because you hear a lot of people doing that, especially during COVID. Um, but the the interesting angle that you have it's is what you mentioned it was around military bases, right? So um, you know you were getting a certain type of clientele. You know there was always an, a demand for that. Um, how did you? When did you start? Was it around that boom time around the the COVID period or? Uh, no, I got to enjoy the beauty of COVID itself in the early days, which was everybody remembers the post the the COVID boom on in 2021. They forget the COVID bust at the beginning of 2020. Uh, so we actually started. So this first house that we had that was just not even a business, right? It was just you know it was in 20 uh, end of 2017. We started doing it while I was deployed, and then came back. And I don't guess we got any others until kind of mid 2018 before we got our next house or so flipped and up and running. And even by the at the beginning of 2019, I think the stat we use is there was like five or six Airbnbs um, at that time. And, you know, we've now got about 550. 
Um, well, so grew quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I had about five or six then. Didn't hire our first employee until 2020, and we can talk about that later and what kind of. Uh, actually, no, 2019 we hired our first employee. Uh, so then we hit 2020. Uh, lost 90% of our reservations on the books when COVID hit initially, because while a lot of people ignored the no travel orders, the military had to follow them. And at the time, well, you know, 90 plus percent of our business was, um, was you know, military travel. Uh, and so all of that went, just stopped on a dime uh, when the no travel order went into effect. Did and you so, ever consider opening it up to non-military families, even though the they weren't technically supposed to travel. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, we, we, we. So, I mean, God works things out in interesting ways. So, and and usually around about the time I'm about to go bankrupt uh, is when he shows up with the new, the new helping hand. So on this one, uh, yeah, we. So all of our traditional military traffic dried up. So yes, we opened it up to you know everybody, and we even started a ad campaign with the Walking Dead in Atlanta, you know, like get out yep. of Atlanta while you still can. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then because we now all of a sudden had all these big vacancies on our calendars, we started to get inquiries from insurance companies. So let's say your home burns down or has water damage. The insurance company has to put you up in alternative accommodations while they repair. Wow. So we'd never known that that even existed because we didn't have enough vacancy space on the calendar, you know, to be able to accommodate those multi-month bookings. Uh, and so that then started to come in. We really then started reaching out to the different uh, placement agencies that work with the insurance uh, companies on those uh, and wound up becoming preferred vendors in the markets where we operate for the larger ones. And so that opened up a whole new business vertical that we'd never have known about had it not been for COVID. Um, but, you know, COVID was a big disruption when it first happened, it opened, forced us to get more creative and come up with some other opportunities. Um, and then on the backside, you know, in 2021, when then people were able to travel again, you had a lot of cash pumping out into the market, a lot of pent up travel demand. Then 2021 was just a total boom. Yep. Uh, and then obviously challenge, and then everybody heard how much money was being made in 2021 in Airbnb. And so then everybody and their brother decided to open up an Airbnb in 2022 and 2023. And so then you've seen, you know, some challenges largely from demand is continuing to grow eight, nine, 10% year over year, but supply has grown at a faster pace. We're now seeing that supply growth level out, if not start to slightly decline in our markets as people are realizing that one, running short-term rentals is way more of a headache. You know, if you have to turn the house 50 times a year, way more problematic than turning it one time every 18 to 24 months on average. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, some of the supply and demand characteristics, you know, just, you know, kind of washed out uh, as people, you know, brought too much inventory to, to bear. That's pretty interesting. So did that add put you on the map with those insurance companies how did how did an insurance company find you at that at that time no they just found us through airbnb and homeaway right because so they would just go on to the otas and search um and then we were able to set up some of those partnerships uh through proactively 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you saw an opening, you, you realize, okay, our business is about to die or in our last, uh, last leg here, let's, let's just take this opening and run with it. So then who was doing the sales motion? Was it you, your wife, you said you hired somebody in 2019, all hands on deck. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, we, everything we could think of. Uh, so yeah, yeah my, my wife and I was working at the white house at the time. Uh, That's so awesome. also not a great time to, and, and I, kind of managed our counter China uh, strategy in the Pacific. So, you know, uh, being at the white house in the Trump administration in COVID dealing with China, uh, I could have picked less exciting jobs to have while trying to save Make my, cold calls. <laughs> yeah. Try to save my other company. Nothing like, uh, walking out of the situation room to take a, you know, a call from somebody that you're trying to get to stay in the house and then you get in there and they're like, ah, the sheets are dirty. You know, they're like, <laughs> somebody missed the clean. I'm, you know, uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, so all sorts, you know, did you, did you, uh, you know, fully sanitize all the door handles? And I'm like, oh my God, I have no idea. You know, I've just got some cleaning company down there. I hope so. Uh, that but, is uh, amazing. So, yeah. So that was, that was a fun time for sure. Not many, not much sleeping going on at that point in life and we had our first child we had our first child right in the middle of all that too so that's great so um you didn't come from a sales background you're you're basically picking it up naturally um so how was that process i mean every ceo every founder everybody's a salesperson right even if you're a ceo you're, you're you're selling to you're selling to investors you're selling to the street um how how did you start to pick up some of your sales motion and your your sales dna I mean, I was a grandchild of a, you know, I was a farm kid and, uh, you know, got involved in kind of politics and stuff when I was younger and doing stuff like that. My grandfather was a preacher and uh, ran a prison ministry. And so I'd go around to prisons with him. And, um, you know, so I guess I was just naturally a loudmouth from the from the very beginning. So I I didn't have a I've got no sales training and um, but Comfortable yeah. talking, comfortable talking to people, and you're comfortable talking to people. And I tell I tell folks all the time, you know, one thing that's different than me and most of your tech entrepreneurs is that I have about thirty, forty million dollars of debt uh, that's personal recourse. So I have a hefty interest payment that gets me out of bed each morning, and uh, and a personal guarantee that keeps me up at night. So uh, you know, it's. Not that not that people don't pay attention when they're, you know, working with VC money, but when you're working with uh, debt and that's personal recourse to you, people are, you know, you tend to necessity is a powerful motivating factor. One hundred percent. Talk to me about the transition between uh, the mindset of going from the military to working at the White House and now being your own company. What what are some sil- similarities as far as the mindset and the the habits? Um, I mean, I think that the biggest the biggest distinction that I make when I'm looking at someone that we'd want to hire is that like is felt you know is this the sort of person again whether the military, the White House, or running your own company, you know is failure an option, you know? <laughs> yep. And if so, then it's not mean you can't work, you know, but I just have a high, you know, 
you just have to have the mentality of like, there's just no other option, right? No other option. We got to make it work. So uh, again, I think that that's just the, the biggest distinguishing factor that I think through of when I've succeeded or failed in my own career and watched other people of it's like, if you're sitting in a situation, it's like, well, it'd be kind of nice to get this or, but you know, if it doesn't work out, then eh, tomato, tomato, uh, still, you know, still taking my vacation, still everything's going to be the same old, same old. That's harder to, you know, just drive yourself to do it versus like, I have, you know, there's no one else to do this. You know, there's no one else to wake up in the morning and respond to the inquiries. There's no one else to stay up at night and balance the books. That's the one, one of the best things I love about sales is you get to, especially as a sales leader, you get to work with so many different salespeople. And when there's a time frame, a time crunch, let's say the end of the quarter, the end of the year, I know it's not life threatening, but something bad tends to happen at the very end, right before something great happens. And you get to see people's reactions to your point. You know, when someone's on the same page as you to say, all right, that was awful what's happening now. This could really screw up our forecast or or earnings. Um, I could potentially get fired for forecasting this huge, massive deal. And then you, their character comes out. You realize, okay, we're going to find a way to make this work. We're going to figure it out. You get extra creative. And there's some people that just don't have it. They fold and they run the other way. And you can see that in those moments. That's easy to tell someone's character. How do you interview for that? Um, I don't know. I think that you just ask them for, uh, it's easier if you can ask them for examples of when they've been in those, in that one of those scenarios and had to just push through. And I feel like most of the time you can kind of tell whether they're, telling the truth or not, you know? Um, and I think that's, I mean, I think that's the kind of the only way you can do it is just ask for personal vignettes um, and then ask them for times when they fail, you know, in that respect, but, you know, really asking for them to give concrete examples of when they were in that sort of circumstance, had to push through it, had to get it done and how it turned out. So I think that's a great segue, Joe, if you don't mind just giving us one moment in time in your journey. Could be in the military, could be the lighthouse, could be starting your own company, could be something outside of that. But something specific where you remembered, holy shit, my back is against the wall. I may not make it, but like like you said before, there is no other option. How did you overcome that? And then what was your mindset? Yeah. So uh 2019, um I had just found a lender, hard money lender that would provide a, what we call a portfolio loan. So it would allow me to buy multiple homes at one given time, but cross collateralize them. It's the first time I've you know, been able to do something like that and was going to allow us to expedite our growth a lot. So I identified probably 12 houses in Columbus, Georgia, uh, and took out, you know, one big loan closed, all closed, the next day, I was told that I was going to Ukraine uh, to train Ukrainian forces. And so we would be in a rural part of Ukraine living in a shipping container. So here I had these 12 homes 
that needed to be, you know, renovated, furnished, and then managed in an operationally intensive way. Uh, now from a shipping container in rural Ukraine. <laughs> uh, so luckily I had a couple of weeks to get ready. So my wife took off from her job. Well, so yeah. when you get that news, sorry, Joe, when you get that news, yeah. what, what what's your an initial reaction, initial thought process? How are you talking to yourself? What's your self-talk like at that time? Well, the first thing I did is go back and look again at what the monthly uh, uh, loan payment was, <laughs> uh, which was significantly more than my W-2 job. Uh, uh, and uh, so... I know I knew I had to, you know, I had to bring these properties online. Um, and then I talked with Rachel and we called family and friends and we took 10 days, two weeks off pre-deployment. She took off work, had, you know, I can't even remember what all family and friends we had down there. Uh, and we all headed down to Columbus. We crashed every thrift store and Walmart we could find. We, you know, everybody had their tools. We did the, you know, best job we could with the renos. We're working for, you know, 20 plus hour days straight through for two weeks and somehow managed to get them all turned around, flipped around, furniture in them and ready to go before I deployed. Uh, and then one of the guys that I was going to Ukraine with, he was actually my commander, his wife had been a West Point grad, army officer had gotten out and was now doing real estate. And so then we had to figure out like how we're going to manage these things after, uh, after we get them set up. Uh, and so uh, Kate was like, look, I'll do it. I'll, you know, uh, I'll put aside my other real estate business. And we had other homes at that point too. And I'll start managing these. And then the lady who was like my second mom agreed to move back from California to then like manage things on the ground in the other markets. We are now in multiple markets. Um, and then we started unlocking all this potential from mil other military spouses, right. Who super talented, overqualified, but had a lot of, you know, struggled to be able to retain jobs because they had to move all the time. So then yep. we were able to work out for them to do that. So it got to Ukraine it was freezing cold. I, you know, I built a little hut outside, you know, so the, the Ukrainians would rarely work after lunch. Uh, there may or may not have been some vodka involved in their decisions <laughs> whether or not they continued to train after lunch. Um, and so then I would, you know, get up, train the Ukrainians in the morning and then plug into, uh, you know, around two or three o'clock in the afternoon uh, into trying to help run things back in the U S and then I'd go till about, you know, two o'clock in the morning, Ukrainian time, trying to like wrap things up for the day. And my, you know, I lived in a shipping container with three other guys who got really annoyed, uh, with me, you know, trying to talk on the phone to, you know, cleaners and maintenance techs and realtors and guests and everything else, you know, till two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And so they basically, so then I had to build myself a little hooch outside so, you know, how cold it gets in Ukraine. And so then I'd have a little fire out there. And if I needed to just work on my computer, I'd go inside. And then if I had to talk on the phone, I'd like go outside and, you know, wow. by the fire, uh, to make my calls back to the U.S. Uh, so that was an interesting time for sure. But uh, it helped us, uh, you know, it was a crucial point in the company's development um, and certainly something that we, you know, it's the sort of things you tell stories about after the fact.
And you're telling that story now, and that's a that's a great story. Um, during that time, when you're doing that, is it something where you just feel like this is going to pay off? It's just part of the process, um, or you're, there's still some sort of doubt on whether or not it, it's it's going to work out in the end. Uh I mean, there's always, uh, I mean, there's always doubt. You know, I mean, there, you know, there's, but I was enjoying it. Right. I mean, I actually enjoyed it. I mean, I think that you enjoy people, the process. Yeah. Even when it's super hard, when you have a clear mission and a clear uh, pathway to accomplishing that mission, hard work then is really fun. What sucks, and we have experienced this at times too, is when there's not a clear objective or mission, or maybe there is a goal but there's just still a lack of clarity of how to get there. And that's when it's actually much tougher is, you know, when you're looking at a, you know, declining sales or a challenge and you don't have a solution on what you're working for, or don't have the clear direction of where you're trying to achieve or the objective you're trying to achieve. That's in my experience been what's most demoralizing and what's hardest to kind of get yourself out of bed in the morning. But if you got a clear target, a clear recipe or pathway or plan or course of action or strategy or whatever else on how to execute against that, then I find that like I'm often my happiest, even when I'm just cranking, 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 because I know where I'm going. I know how to get there. And it's just a matter of effort, will, and a little bit of luck. I love that. I love that. And uh, it feels like we could sit here, Joe, for hours talking shop. Uh, but I do want to thank you for coming on to the Top 1% show. I was going to ask one advice you'd give your younger self. But that I feel like we could end with right now, just a clear, concise goal or mission, unless you feel like there's something better that you would give as a, as a parting shot. Um, I think I would tell my younger self to have focused more on refining operations and processes and really focusing on a given market as opposed to we spread out too thin, right? We then wanted to go to five or six or seven markets as opposed to really investing in one market and building the best operational infrastructure in that market and then going to the next market and really focusing on that market. And so I think that, and my guess is a lot of more entrepreneurial oriented sales folks have the same challenge as well. Yep. It's 10 different flashy, exciting things to you know, run after and you never, you don't get as far as if you just said, look, I've got one and I'm just going to put the blinders on to all the other exciting flashing lights and just really hammer on this one thing that can take me much further than bouncing around a bunch of different side interests. I love that. I'm going through that right now. And then a lot of CEOs I'm talking to now double down on the operational efficiency. So I'm doing a I'm making a conscious effort of documenting everything, making sure everything is an SOP. So if I were to step out, someone could come in very easily and run the business. Um, but Joe, thank you very much for coming on the show. And of course, thanks again for your service. Great advice. Um, it was great having you on. And for the millions around the world listening to this, stay tuned for our next, next guest next week. Thanks for coming on the show. Welcome to the top. Oh, yeah. We kill the annual quotas. It's the one percenter show. In case you haven't noticed, we talking cold calling and sales and start with tight rhymes. Round here, we maintaining a four times pipeline.